Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you for the power of your word, that your words, when we receive them and believe them, change our scenery, change our situation. Father, we ask that you would give us light, that you give us revelation, that you give us understanding. Holy Spirit, we say, have your way. Speak through my lips. Minister through me. We thank you, Father, that when we approach you, when you approach your word, that you always speak to us. You always um, show us things, and we get exactly what we need. We thank you for it. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, Jesus said in um, Luke chapter 18, The Spirit of the Lord is upon me because he has anointed me to preach the gospel to the poor. He has sent me to heal the brokenhearted, to preach deliverance to the captives, recovering of sight to the blind, to set at liberty them that are bruised, and to preach the acceptable year of the Lord. Well, the same Spirit that was upon Jesus is actually the Spirit that comes upon us. It's the Holy Spirit, and he recreates us on the inside. We're recreated by him, and he comes to live inside of us. And then he also, just like he anointed Christ, he anoints us. So if when he anointed Christ, he anointed him to preach the gospel to the poor, to heal the brokenhearted, to preach deliverance to the captives, recovering of sight to the blind, to set at liberty them that are bruised, to preach the acceptable year of the Lord, what do you think happens to the believer when the Holy Spirit comes upon you? That same spirit, the Holy Spirit, there's not two Holy Spirits, there's one Holy Spirit. And so he doesn't have uh, two sets of equipment. Jesus actually even said that God does not give the Holy Spirit by measure unto him. And so when you have the Holy Spirit, you yield to the Holy Spirit. Some people want to get all distracted, I think, on the gifts of the Spirit and which one is this. And really, gifts is not even in the original language. It just means uh, demonstrations of the Holy Spirit or how the Holy Spirit moves. Um, literally, I think it says there in First Corinthians chapter 12, things pertaining to and of the Holy Spirit. Well, uh, sometimes it's good to d discern and study and figure all that out. I'm not saying that's not good. But really, when you need something from God and you approach the right way and the right way is through Jesus and through his sacrifice, through his blood, whatever you need is right there at that very moment. And when you're ministering to someone else, and you come by the blood of Jesus and by the works of Jesus and not by your knowledge or your experiences and a bunch of other stuff, but you come based on Jesus Christ. With the Holy Ghost, you have the exact same equipment that Jesus had. And so this isn't just for Jesus, but this is for us. But I want to focus in again on the Spirit of the Lord is upon me because he has anointed me to preach the gospel to the poor. Literally, the word poor there means those that are cast down or those that are bowed down and pushed over. And man, when I saw this and I was studying for this, it just really struck something inside of me. Because, yes, a, a, a poor, you know, of course, it has the image of a beggar, like the financially poor. But it doesn't just mean the financially poor. It means those that feel like they don't measure up in life, those that feel like they're not fully there. So we see it, I think, in, um, you know, in America, even the poorest of the poor are richer than most people in the world, 
okay? Um, and so you might say, well, I don't consider myself rich. Uh, according to Bible standards, actually, you are kind of rich, but uh, let's just put that aside. You might hear that and hear Jesus say that and think, okay, well, he came to, to help the poor, and I'm not really one of the poor. But do you realize if in life, you're allowing thoughts of the devil or experiences in your life that you've gone through to form you and to shape you instead of the Spirit of God to form you and to shape you, then actually this applies to you. He came to preach the gospel to you and to me, the good news that you don't have to be that way. And so, um, uh, as we said last week, in uh, Romans chapter 6, Paul gives an illustration and he, the illustration he gives is he said, sin, when you serve sin, it's like you're a slave to sin. And when he's talking about slaves here, you know, uh, you, know you could think some, some translations call it servants, uh, others call it, call it uh, being a slave. But in the context of what the word of God is talking about, a slave was not a slave from 9 a.m. to 5 p.m. or 8 a.m. to 5 p.m. It wasn't like um, we serve at a job. It was, and then as soon as we get off, we can decide what we do with our time. It was an actual slave where 100% of the time, you don't have say-so in what you do. And Paul said, if you serve sin, you become a slave to sin. You become enslaved. That means what? You're not calling the shots anymore. But sin is calling the shots. And you could think just in, just in the realm of, um, you know, fleshly sins or something like that. You start out and you have a big hesitation to actually yield to a sin. But as soon as you yield to that sin, then the next time it's a little easier. And the next time it's a little easier. And the next time it's a little easier. Um, because you become enslaved to that thing. And, uh, you know, you can become enslaved uh, to a to many, many types uh, of sin. But Paul said, we're no longer slaves to sin to serve sin, but we've become slaves to righteousness, to serve righteousness. What does that mean? Well, righteousness is kind of like a, a big Bible word that, uh, what do you call it? Kind of it's a real word, but you almost, you almost get in a religious context when you think of righteousness. But what it means is, uh, literally, I like E.W. Kenyon define it as the ability to go into the presence of God without a sense of guilt, fear, or inferiority. Well, I still think that's a little hard to connect with. What it is, is you actually belong there. You don't feel out of place, but you feel like, whoa, I'm supposed to be here. And so, you know, we went and toured the White House about, I don't know, a month ago or something like that. And so they have like several layers of security that you go through. And then once you get in there, there's this path that you have to take. And of course, there's lots of secret service and people making sure you're where you're supposed to be. But you see, like, if I had gone off the path and tried to go up to like the private residence up the stairs, because you can see the stairs right there, I'm not going to have free access there. I'm going to feel like I don't belong, and I'm probably going to feel that way really quickly. But Paul said, you're not supposed to be a slave to feeling like you don't belong. You're supposed to be a slave to feeling like you're there. Well, what's a slave? Well, that means 24 hours a day, seven days a week, 
uh, 30 or 31 days a month, unless it's February, uh, 365 days a year, that you are serving a lack, what do you call it, of not belonging. In other words, the way we're supposed to be enslaved is that we don't have any sense that we don't belong. We don't have any sense that we don't measure up. We don't have any sense that it's someone else and not us, right? Because Jesus brought us in. The way you do that, the only way I know to do that is by Jesus Christ and by the blood of Jesus Christ. The blood of Jesus Christ is the great equalizer. You know, in the world, it's a big lie. They say like, well, Christianity, you know, they, they like women are second class. No, Christianity is what brought women equal with men. Christianity is what brought every race equal with every other race. Not that they were unequal before, but the world tries to say they're not equal. And so Jesus Christ is the one place where we all meet at the same place and where we all have the same blessings, the same benefit, and the same access. Right? Because of the color of my skin or my gender, I'm not held out or I'm not ushered in based on that. It's really based on the color red, the blood of Jesus. So the blood of Jesus actually opens up access uh, to God the Father. Now Jesus said, I have come that you might have life and that you might have it more abundantly. Or I like to say fullness of life uh, or real life, that your life, you're not simply existing, but actually you have a life that is filled with fullness and that fullness is really all the fullness of God. And so he wants his vision, his purpose is that every single person on the earth would have the kind of life that he has and the kind of existence that he has. And that word life is the Greek word zoe. It means the life of God and the nature of God or life as God has it. A lot of times you, you kind of look and you say, well, people define it as, well, that means you live forever. It really, of course, uh, the life of God has no beginning and has no end. So you do live forever. But it really talks about the quality or the kind of life so that we are not living a natural life any longer. What does that mean? Like you leave your body? No, that doesn't mean you leave your body. That means what has dominion over you is the life of God. What affects you is the life of God. And you yield to that life, and it supersedes the natural life. What does that mean? It, 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 it takes precedent over. It's above. It's greater than. Really, you couldn't hardly class it in the same class except for the fact that God breathed into mankind the very breath of life, and when he did, that was actually the spirit of man coming into man. But the, the things of the world will try to hold you back, and the devil will try to tell you that you do not belong. Like other people belong, but you don't belong. Like other people are supposed to go... Uh, Spend time with God, and he will talk to them, and he will show them things, but that's not you. Or uh, in whatever area of life, other people, um, you're just like held out, is what the, bevel, the, the, the devil really wants to tell you. Jesus said, um, 
You know, when he said, I've come that you might have life and have it more abundantly, that's John chapter 10. And then John chapter 17, he said, and this is life, that you may know him, the one true God and his son whom he has sent, Jesus Christ. And so if you want to know what Zoe is, it's actually knowing God. And when you get um, intimate with God, you have such a fullness, such a completeness, such a... I don't even know a natural English word for it. But basically, everything else in your life begins to fade away and pale. The significance of it pales away. Money, you need money, you get into the presence of God, and you're not so concerned about that money that you need. Because you're experiencing life the way God has it. Now, if you need money, the way to access it is really through the life of God. But what I'm saying is, this life is not of the earth, earthly. It's not of the senses, sensual. It is of the spirit. And as soon as you receive this life, then everything else can kind of like come in line. It makes everything else a lot easier to deal with, right? So there's a lot of things that you can identify with in life. Uh, you can, let, let's talk about money again, Julio. So you get yourself with your financial um, portfolio. So you could say, you know, I make such and such amount of money a year, you know, a year, like let's say you make $100,000 a year and you have this type of car, this type of house. And so this is the group of people that you hang around and that you hang with and everything like that. And so what are you doing? You're identifying and you're really living by your financial status. Well, some people want to identify by, hi, I'm Tim, I'm divorced. I'm not, but anyhow. But every time they introduce, that's how they introduce. Or, you know, thing after thing after thing. Or a lot of times people will identify with their accomplishments. And so uh, what school are you graduate, you know, where'd you graduate from? What's your school? And um, lawyers, a lot of times, what law firm did you work for? And you, you can identify with thing after thing after thing after thing after thing. As believers, many times, we'll identify with experiences we had with God in the past. Well, I had this, I had that, you know, um, and we get our, our value from there. Our identity is to be found only in Jesus Christ and only through Jesus Christ. And if your identity is found anywhere else, it's a faulty identity. And it'll actually hold you back. Jesus actually sets us free from having to like know a bunch of stuff and having to have relationships with all the right people and be here and be there. And you see like um, sometimes... Uh, in the church world, you'll see somebody's waiting for the special minister to come and lay hands on them, and that's where they get their identity. And I, you know, so and so laid hands on me, and I've got their anointing, and I've got this, and I've got that. Yet their greatest identity should be in Jesus Christ. I like how T.L. Osborne says it. He's like, um, I don't need no secondhand anointing. You know, he said, I got blessed direct from headquarters. Now, there is a doctrine of laying on of hands, and there is, you know, putting your honor on people, so I'm not taking away from any of that, but I'm taking away from you identifying yourself with that and your value by that, because you can live your whole life driven and pushed 
and forced. Because why? Well, well, uh, you know, uh, maybe there's like uh, a demon attached to that, and there's a demon here and a demon there, and they're doing this and they're doing that, and all of a sudden you become real demon conscious, and then you're like making decisions based on possibility of a demon here or a demon there. Um, demons do exist. Demons are real, uh, but you have authority over them. You don't have to worry about them. If you're worrying about them, you're kind of in fear in the first place. And you have to get grounded in the word. But then sometimes people will identify with um, themselves and their own abilities and what they can accomplish so that they're, they're emotionally driven to put themselves out front. In other words, Sometimes you actually see people in ministry, and what they're doing is they're drawing people to themselves, not to Jesus Christ. Why is that? Well, because they have not found their identity in Christ. As soon as you find out who you are in Christ, that God loves you for you, that it's not based on performance, that it's not based on what you didn't do, and it's not based on what you are doing or what you're planning to do, but it's actually based on the fact of his love, that he loves you for who you are, well, then you're set free. So you don't have to perform for somebody. And then you, you know, one of the ways I say it in, in um, ministry is, I'm just here to serve. Well, that means I don't have to have like the pulpit position or the worship leader position or the sound position or whatever position uh, my personality is more given towards. I don't have to have that to find my value. I just say, where can I serve? What can I do? How can I help? Because I'm not here for me. I'm here to serve Jesus Christ, and I'm here to put my hand to the plow. But what happens is many times we will unconsciously be serving fear and not know it. Right? So I've had times, um, even not too long ago, it slipped up on me. I'm like, oh, man, I didn't realize that. Where you'll have like uh, maybe extra financial expenses and all of a sudden your attitude towards money changes just a little bit. And so you start to have an attitude of lack instead of an attitude of abundance. And, and then what happens? Well, if you don't check that thing right away, you'll start, to ha you'll start to say what you're thinking. And if you start to say what you're thinking, then you'll start to believe what you're thinking. And you start to do it, you start to believe, say, and do it, well, then you'll have lack, if you're talking lack. Do you understand? Like, so... You'll start to say, look, well, I can't do that. Well, I can't do this. Why, why can't you do that? Um, it would be like us saying when we were coming out to plant the church, well, we can't do that. We don't have, uh, you know, uh, some churches they start and they have like 200, people give them $200,000 to start the church. So I could be like, well, we don't have $200,000, so we can't do that. Do you understand? I just said, like, money is more powerful than God. Like, I'm going to believe uh, what I see of the money more than I believe God. So you can have these things sort of slip up on you and not even be conscious of it, that you're responding out of past hurts or you're responding out of false teaching. When I say false, I shouldn't even say false teaching. That's true. 
But I mean, you're responding out of teaching that sounds really good and biblical, but it's not. Because that type of teaching um, is enticing to your ears and enticing to your flesh, uh, but it's not Bible. So uh, the reason I didn't want to say false teaching is you say that, and then I think people get this big picture of you're saying that, uh, you know, Young Sung Moon is the Lord of the earth or something like that, you know, like super clearly false. Uh, but typically um, where we miss it is in little things. And it's those little foxes that spoil the vine and those, those little tweaks that you're, you, uh, you really have to pay attention to and watch out for. The only way you can please God is by faith. The only way to obtain righteousness is by faith. The only way to approach God is by faith. Well, faith by its very essence and its very definition is not of the natural world. It's not something that you can uh, build. It's not something, you know, with your hands. It's not something that you can just create, that you could hire somebody to create. Faith is a belief, solid belief in God. And what he says is more true than what you experience. And so, but a lot of times we know that, but we don't act on it. What does that mean? Well, let's take the financial thing. Well, well, this is the amount of money I have, and so this is all the money, da-da-da. So you start making decisions based on the lack of finances. So now you're governed by the lack of finances, but with faith, you're supposed to ask the Lord for the things you need. You, really, we have authority. You claim them, and you command that money to come, and then you act based on that. Why? Because you have what you say. If you don't doubt and you believe in your heart, it'll come. The money will come. Like you have Jesus' guarantee on it. You have his word to back it up. And, but what happens is uh, you'll have sickness come against your body. And you'll say, well, I'll, I'll, I'm going to confess that I'm healed when I start feeling better. Or I'm going to confess that I'm healed when I don't see this blemish in my body. Or I'm going to... You know, say that I'm healed when I see that I'm healed. Well, unless your natural body just naturally heals without divine intervention, you're not going to have it because you actually believe you receive and then you have. You believe it's yours when everything else is screaming the opposite. So with your identity with Christ, you believe that you're uh, loved by him, that you are the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus before you sense it at all. And then what do you do? You act it. One of the biggest ways you act is you speak. Well, you say like, well, when I pray, I feel like the Lord, I don't talk to the Lord, don't hear him, he doesn't hear me. When you come to pray, when you come to get in the presence of God, you don't get in the presence of God when you feel the presence of God. You don't know that God heard you when you sense it. You know it when you find it in the word of God. Call unto me and I will answer you. Or in that day, Jesus said, you shall ask me nothing. That actually means we don't ask Jesus for anything, if we're biblical. It means we, but we do what he said. Which is, but whatever you ask the Father in my name, he'll give it to you. So he said, now you've, you're talking to me, I'm here in the flesh, but you're not going to talk to me like that anymore. Now you're going to go to the Father. And even that's what Jesus himself did. He said, what I say and what I do is not of myself. I saw my Father do it. 
And I heard him say it, and that's what I declare to you. And he's still saying the same thing. He's still leading us to the Father. And he said, whatever you ask the Father in my name, in my place, with my authority, based on me, based on my blood, um, he will give it to you. That is like an amazing statement, a powerful statement. And don't think that you're going to ask God through Jesus Christ for something that Jesus is against. You know, like uh, the story every minister likes to tell, like the guy, you know, said, I want to marry this other man's wife. Like, like that's such a blatant, obvious, obvious uh, anti-scriptural statement. Um, don't think that you're going to get unscriptural and Jesus is going to then like, get, that gives you access. No, you go through uh, the word of God, which is Jesus Christ. And that's how you get to the Father. But if you feel like you don't measure up, then you're always looking for someone else to do your praying. You're always looking for someone else to, that you think has access to bring your stuff there. You know, like if you had a, a nonprofit ministry or a nonprofit uh, organization and you wanted a government grant and you knew someone that was like in uh, whatever office that would be where they would be giving the grants, you might, you might be like, hey, hey, can you uh, give this a little attention, make sure that the right person sees this? Well, the person who does that for us is Jesus Christ. And then we go right in. He's like, here, come here. I want you to present this because the Father wants to hear you and the Father wants to talk to you. So when you feel like you don't measure up, it actually affects um, how you interact with other people and how you live your life because you're always looking for... um, you know, a way to gratify your flesh, right? In other words, if, I'm, if I struggle with um, self-esteem, then if I don't get it from Jesus Christ, then I'm going to try and get it from you. Do you understand? I know that's kind of a very strong thing to say, I guess. But I'm going to try and, and uh, how Brother Hagin would say it is like, putting someone else's candle out does not make yours burn any brighter. But your flesh thinks it does. Your flesh thinks if I, can, if I can show everybody your faults, then nobody will see mine. And so then I'll be like, uh, you'll be like, wow, you're amazing. You're wonderful. You know? But when you're insecure, you, you don't have a revelation of who you are in Christ. Because as soon as you realize who you are in Christ, you're not in competition with anybody. You're just like, I'm just happy to be alive. I'm happy to be part of the family. I'm happy to be a king's kid. Like, when you realize, you know, like, uh, I just try to use, a, I guess, a modern example. Like, if you're uh, one of the president's children in this particular administration, because he's using his kids in the administration, some of them at least, um, they're not really in competition with other people uh, for relationship with their father. Because they're a child. Well, it would be just as crazy for us to be in competition with our relationship with our Heavenly Father with other kids. Because like my my kids, I love all of my kids. And I love them all the same. They're all different personality. 
but I love them all the same. I can, like, I'm not even trying to, like, uh, just tell you, like, I'm an amazing father. I love them all the same. I love them all the same. I have the same amount of love for every single one of them. You know, I have to do different things discipline-wise and teaching-wise and how uh, they sense my love because their personalities are all different. But I don't love one more than the other. And God doesn't love you more than he loves me, and he doesn't love me more than he loves you. And when we find our security in Jesus Christ, everything else just falls in line. Right? Like, you know, we move over here uh, from Michigan, and uh, I don't have to be worried about all of the, the natural things and all of that. Because first of all, Jesus told me not to. But second of all, I'm following him. So I know he has my back. I know he'll take care of me. And even if I missed it, I know what kind of God he is. He'll get me out of it. He'll make it up, you know, because it's, it's not, a, not something I'm trying to do on purpose. I'm doing my uh, best to follow him and walk with him. But You know, you kind of see it in a, a lot of workplaces where you'll have one person pit against another, pit against another, like there's only one promotion coming up, and all these people want the promotion, and you want the promotion, and um, you have to, like, give that to the Lord, and just do your best. You work diligent. You do what the Bible says, but you find your identity in Jesus Christ. As soon as you know who you are in Christ, then you know it doesn't matter if they give it to somebody else. The Lord has something better. The Lord will take care of me. He knows exactly where I'm at. He knows exactly what I'm doing. He's on my side, and I'm not undone, and I'm not alone. I want to close with First um, John chapter 1. First John chapter 1. Uh, we'll read 1 through 4. That which was from the beginning, which we have heard, which we have uh, seen with our eyes, which we have looked upon, which our hands have handled of the word of life, for the life was manifested, and we have seen it, and bear witness, and show unto you that eternal life which was with the Father, and which was manifested unto us, that which we have seen, and which we have heard, declare we to you, that you also may have fellowship with, and with and truly, our fellowship is with the Father and with his Son, Jesus Christ. And these things we write to you that your joy may be full. So Jesus, this is the whole reason Jesus came, that we could have zoe, that we could have this kind of life. And the life was there in the beginning. And what we have seen and heard and handled of this life is what we're declaring to you. In other words, the greatest thing for you to declare and for me to declare is what we have personally experienced of the life of God, of the Lord Jesus Christ. So if you haven't experienced the life of God, how can you share the life of God? Sure, you can tell about it, but it's not going to have life, <laughs> no pun intended, it's not going to have any life attached to it. It's just going to be words that you're repeating. It's going to be like you're telling George Washington crossed the Potomac River. And they'd be like, that's cool. You'd be like, George Washington crossed the Potomac River. Is that more impactful? But I'm saying when you have tasted of the world to come, which is of Zoe, you've uh, tasted and partook of this life, then you can actually declare it to people. 
When you've tasted of this freedom, you can declare it to people so that you're not stuck in bondage, that you're not trying to measure up, that you're not trying to be seen, that you're not trying to be the one that knows the most scripture, you're not trying to be the one that has uh, the most, uh, what do you call that, uh, Bible knowledge or the most Bible experiential knowledge. I still love what Paul said. I determined among men to know nothing except Jesus Christ and him crucified. Do you know that is the most effective way to minister to yourself or to someone else? You take them to Jesus. You take the situation to Jesus. I don't care what the situation is. I don't care what you think you know. Sometimes you think you know something and you bypass Jesus because you've already had an experience and you miss the answer for the person or for yourself. Uh, Paul, with all of his knowledge, you know, he had so much knowledge, but let's forget about that for a second, the knowledge he had before Christ, right? So he mentally grabbed hold of uh, so many scriptures after scriptures after scriptures after scriptures and customs and ways. He's saying this after he was born again and after he was full of the Holy Ghost. He said, I determined among men to know nothing except Jesus Christ and him crucified. What does that mean? Well, I might not understand your situation. I might not know the exact answer, but I know him who is the answer. And if we can get to him, and let me tell you, we can get to him because he made a way, the answer is waiting right there in the presence of God. He has the answer, and it's not far away, and it's not difficult. But what happens is we make it difficult because we're so used to living um, out of the natural that we clog up listening to the Spirit. We're so naturally minded that we just live out of the flesh because that's how we think. And why is that? Well, because we haven't uh, developed our spirit by feeding on the Word of God and spending time with the Lord. But once you do that, everything changes. It, uh, what do you call it? Things of the world take their proper place. Did you ever notice, like, if you haven't spent time in the Word or prayer much, that things that at times when you, when you were walking closely with the Lord that would have been insignificant to you become a huge deal? They're magnified instead of the Lord being magnified. You know, like stuff before that you might be like, Oh yeah, that, that, that doesn't bother me. Doesn't think about being stressed. Uh, I know everybody's been stressed. Uh, so if you like are stressed about something, a lot of times then you'll make a mistake, and then if you don't like nip that in the bud, you'll get stressed about making the mistake, and you make another mistake, and it kind of build it snowballs, it builds, 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 and uh, the original thing that you kind of messed up on. Uh, if you were walking closely with the Lord, you would have never, you would have just like pushed right through that. You'd been like, oh, oh, okay, you know. And um, so it really makes a difference how you're living your life and where you're living your life from. And the best place, the only place to really live is from the life of God. And when you live from the life of God, that actually is a life of freedom. I didn't say that's a life without problems. I said that's a life of freedom. So that when you have a problem, a problem doesn't uh, control you, but you're actually over the problem. 
You might not understand, like, how do I deal with this? What do I do about it at the moment? But like I said, you know where to go. And as soon as you get there, in the presence of God, talking to the Lord, you, that problem takes its proper place, which is under your feet. And then you can clearly hear to follow the path the Lord would lay out for you to get out of it. But sometimes we just kind of take our own and uh, make our own path. And sometimes you get out that way, and sometimes you get trapped that way. And, um, but Jesus came that we might have freedom, that we might have liberty. The Holy Ghost is actually the spirit of liberty and the spirit of freedom. Stand with me, if you would. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you for the power of your word, that you sent your word and you freed us, that we shall know the truth and the truth sets us free or makes us free. Father, I pray in all of our lives that we would look to you and that we would look past our circumstances, Father, that we wouldn't be uh, trapped and stuck in a natural way of living, but, Father, that we would come directly to you by the blood of your son, Jesus Christ, that we would come into your presence and experience your fullness of life that has no regrets, that has no remorse. Father, that we live as the head and not the tail, that we live above and not beneath, that we're not undone, that we're blessed when we come and blessed when we go and blessed where we live. Father, that we walk in your very best for every part of our lives. We thank you for it. I pray, Father, that we'll all not just listen to your word, Father, but that we'll put it into practice, that we'll live a life of freedom, and that we'll share that freedom with all those that we come in contact with. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, God bless you. Thank you for coming, and have a great week.